<coughs> Podcast Network Asia. You're listening to the last 24 hours. These are the terrifying moments that led to some of the grisliest unsolved murders in Philippine true crime history. You're listening to episode 3 of The Last 24 Hours. The last episode in the special three-part series that connects the unsolved murders of the original Chop Chop Lady and the infamous Black Dahlia. Our journey now takes us to the Philippines in the 1960s, where George Hodel has reinvented himself as a successful businessman living in upscale neighborhoods in both Manila and Makati. At the same time, Lucila Lalu, or Lucy to her friends, was reinventing herself too. Not unlike Elizabeth Short, who had left her small town for the big city lights of L.A., Lucila had similarly packed up her life to see where her ambitions would take her in Manila. Though her dream wasn't as glamorous as Elizabeth's, Lucila was determined to be successful, and at only 28, she did just that. Working as a waitress in nightclubs, she somehow managed to save enough money to set up not one, but two businesses. A lounge, restaurant, oddly named Pagoda Soda Fountain, and a beauty parlor located somewhere in Santa Cruz. Though she was living in a common-law marriage-type situation with a police officer, she also had a few lovers on the side, one of which is a 19-year-old waiter at her own restaurant, Florante. Not only had she rented out a love nest for the two of them, it was also later known that she was financially supporting him. Then, on May 28, 1967, Lucila went to work and was never seen again. As it was apparently an open secret that she would occasionally disappear to spend time with other lovers, no one considered to report her missing after nothing was heard from the businesswoman in two straight days. On May 29, 11.45 p.m., a garbage collector in Santa Cruz found a pair of human legs wrapped in old newspapers at a trash pile. The legs were severed neatly into four parts, cut clean over the knees and at the hip joints. Newspaper reports quoted the trash collector, Pablo Besar, as saying that the limbs felt cold to the touch, as if the body parts had been kept in a freezer. The police officer who had unwrapped the parts meanwhile reported that the legs appeared to belong to a fair-skinned female with well-manicured toenails. On May 30th, at 3 p.m., young scavengers make the gruesome find of a headless human torso, wrapped, similar to the severed legs, in old newspapers, in a then-vacant patch by the side of Epifanio de los Santos Avenue near the Guadalupe Bridge. The torso was sprawled on its back, both hands bound with abaca rope. The head was nowhere in sight. On May 31st, investigators eventually matched the fingerprints from the mutilated torso to the fingerprint police clearance records of Lucila Lalu Tolentino. Later, they confirmed that the severed legs found a few days before also belonged to Lucila. The case becomes a media sensation and is immediately dubbed by the press as the mystery of the year. Her story dominated the headlines for months, with every detail and news of the case eagerly anticipated by an entire country, equally horrified and mystified by the savagery of her death and speculations on the unknown cold-blooded murderer still at large. When Steve O'Dell read through the details of this case, 
he felt a familiar chill. Autopsy reports from the coroner stated that the dismemberment was surgical in nature. The bones were not cut, but disarticulated. In medical terminology, the separation of two bones at their joints by cutting bone ligaments. The skin incision on the points of amputation were surgical in nature and expertly done with the use of a very sharp bladed instrument. Investigators determined that Lucila's hands were tightly tied behind her back with rope when she was severely beaten, then strangled to death. In the examination, it was also revealed that Lucila was one month pregnant. Pat Vera, Lucila's husband, was quickly rounded up along with four or five suspects, but were all later released. While it was eventually learned that the husband had previously discharged his gun in the presence of Lucila during a heated altercation, the police found no direct evidence linking him to her murder other than raging jealousy as a motive. Florante Delos, meanwhile, was found to be blind drunk during the time of the murder, as his drinking buddies corroborated his whereabouts and condition to the police, even passionately declaring that he has no reason whatsoever to kill her as she has been good to him. Then, in yet another bizarre turn of events for the case, a 28-year-old dental student living as a boarder in one of Lucila's properties confessed to the crime. José Luis Santiano claimed that on the night of the murder, his mind blacked out after Lucila came to his room to sexually proposition him, which then led him to quote-unquote accidentally strangle her to death. But then just a few days later, he recants his statement claiming that he had witnessed three other men commit the crime instead. Initially, the police told the press that they thought the suspect is possibly a wealthy man, someone who is an expert with using knives and have an access to a vehicle to be able to dispose the body parts in different areas. In 1967, driving a car would have been a sign of wealth. Santiano fell into none of these categories, and yet the police was convinced that they had their man anyway and Santiano was prosecuted and convicted. The case then went on to the Court of Appeals, which found that the young man's confession was inconsistent with the evidence and known facts of the crime. In addition, the judges were unconvinced that Santiano had the skill to perform the dismemberment. The evidence, in their opinion, pointed to a trained physician rather than a first-year dental student with no experience in surgical procedures. For Steve Hodell, these were yet again more evidence that points to his father's involvement. In his book, Most Evil, he writes, The facts show that the Lucila Lelou murder was strikingly consistent in M.O. to the Black Dahlia murder, a forcible abduction of a female, then the binding of the victim's hands and feet with rope, followed by ligature strangulation. Then came the skillful bisection of the body by what law enforcement officers in both crimes characterize as having been performed by a highly trained surgeon who, after its operation, then washed and cleaned the body parts. Like the Black Dolly murder in 1947, Lucila Lelou's murderer had performed the operation somewhere else, though Manila police never identified the murder site, then drove a few miles to place or pose the body parts just off the roadway. George Hodel lived in the Philippines until the 90s, but in 1967, he'd been living as a bachelor and was staying at an apartment along Manila Bay. When Steve joined the U.S. Navy, he would sometimes be stationed at Subic Naval Base, during which he would visit his father in Manila. In 
Whenever that would happen, Steve recalls regularly going out drinking with his father at casinos and nightclubs scattered along Ross Boulevard, clubs that featured dancing girls and prostitutes. He theorizes that his father could have somehow met Lucila in one of these clubs. Could they have had a relationship? Was he perhaps a business partner or patron in one of her businesses? Could Lucy at one point approach his father and made a disturbing announcement that she is pregnant with his child? Although Steve admits that he's found little direct evidence of his father's involvement in Lucila's murder, he can't ignore the tantalizing circumstantial evidence surrounding the case either. As in the Dahlia murder, a beautiful, disarticulated victim is found in pieces around the city for maximum impact and horror. And living nearby is George Hill Hodel. To date, much like Elizabeth Short's murder, the case is unsolved and Lucila's head was never found. While law enforcement officers disagree whether Steve Hodel is a brilliant investigator or an obsessive crackpot, no one has been able to prove him wrong. Steve says he's long given up trying to sway law enforcement officers, adding that my judge and jury are the public, my readers, and they get it. We'll end our story now, much like how it started for Steve Hodel, with the death of a parent. In the weeks after Steve Hodel finished his latest book, he connected with a woman named Sandy Nichols, who informed him that after her mother passed away, she discovered a 69-year-old letter from her grandfather tucked in her belongings. The handwritten envelope read, in case of Margaret Ellen's or Glenna Jean's death, dated October 25, 1949. Margaret Ellen is Sandy Nichols' mother and Glenna, her aunt, who, at 1949, were both in their teens. The letter was initialed WGM, or W. Glenn Martin, her grandfather. The three-page letter identified W.G. Glenn Martin as a paid LAPD informant and went on to name a person with the initials G.H. as Elizabeth Short's murderer, as well as the murderer of another victim, Louise Springer, who was abducted and then strangled in 1949 also known as the Green Twig Murder Victim, a case that's also unsolved. Martin's letter claimed that both he and G.H. personally knew Louise Springer and that he believed G.H. killed her. The letter also detailed that after the LAPD found that G.H. knew Springer, he was taken in, but that after a brief interrogation, was let go. It identified a former L.A. Deputy District Attorney and an internal officer's LAPD officer as co-conspirators to get G.H.'s name out of the Black Dahlia murder investigations, also adding that the investigation officer became a G.H. friend, so the matter was dropped, and that G.H. threatened to get even with him. We may never know for certain if George Hodel is the evil perpetrator behind the gruesome deaths of both Elizabeth and Lucilla, nor will we ever know the identity of the real killer. The more time passes, the more their unresolved stories creep deeper into urban myth territory. Once there, victims are reduced to nameless cautionary tales, while their suspected perpetrators morph into some kind of supernatural abomination that can transcend time and somehow still harm us. Still harm us. Still harm us. You've just listened to the last episode in a special three-part series of The Last 24 Hours. 
Want to hear more? Then subscribe to The Last 24 Hours, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other podcast platforms. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.